1 Corinthians warned you about the women with a loud mouth, and this podcast is just that. Here at the Speaking in Church podcast, we talk all about the regular people and the things that regularly happen to them in the evangelical church. It's a podcast about change. It's a podcast about seeking moral high ground. And it's a podcast for people who are just trying to deconstruct on the safe side. You can listen wherever you get your podcast, And if you want to be a guest, yes, you, regular person, you can be a guest on the Speaking in Church podcast. If you want to come on, just let us know. Hi, friends, and welcome to another episode of Recovery, a podcast for people who are transitioning in the way that they do vocational ministry. Maybe they're leaving, maybe they're staying and doing it differently, or maybe you're changing any sort of vocation or even the way that you look at your faith. And that's what Recovery is all about. My name is Sarah Heath, and my co-host is Justin Gentry. Today, we have a special episode for you. It's with one of my dear friends, Trip Fuller, actually one of both of our dear friends, Trip Fuller or Dr. Trip Fuller is someone who has been hosting Homebird Christianity for a really long time. It's one of the longest running podcasts sort of in this market and in this niche. And I think you'll find that he is incredibly intelligent, wonderful to talk to. I will give you a, a little bit of a trauma activation warning. We do discuss suicide for just a moment, not in detail, just around serving in ministry with folks who have suicidal ideations. I hope you enjoy the conversation. I loved it. It was a reminder of how important important for me. Uh, Friendships and community have been both while I was in ministry and after I left. So with no further ado, this is a conversation with Dr. Trip Fuller. Oh, and also check out all of his books. He's written some incredible ones. Okay, let's get to it. Okay, now you can compliment my body. Oh my gosh, guys. That's going to be great for for Welcome. Wait a second. (laughs) To another week of recovery where (laughs) we're bringing on some of our favorite friends to talk a little bit about, well, we've already told you what this podcast is about, but we are excited to have Trip here. Uh, Before we started recording, friends, um, these two got in a conversation about Instagram that I think is is important. It is true. My co-host works out on Instagram. Well, not works out on Instagram. Here's the thing. So (laughs) I started. He's feeling defensive, you know. I mean, well, Sarah posts her pictures where it looks like she kind of sweat after a 5K with a beer at a brewery. And I'm just like, yeah. oh, just thinking about a 5K makes me sweaty. And then there she is. She's like, nah, I'm just getting equal on my carbs after I just dominated the 5K. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. Yeah. I mean, well, I, I started that. videoing myself working out because it was during the pandemic and I needed like someone to coach me and no one was there because mm-hmm. I couldn't go to the gym. And so I was like, oh, I'll just video myself like and that way I'll see. And then I was like, oh, I'll post one or two of these, you know, like, why not? Yeah. This was a, this was a fun lift. And now like that's now my page pretty much. Yeah. It's just me posting videos of me working out, which seemed ridiculous 10 years ago. If you would have told me. <laughs> You're going to be that I would have left ministry and uh, I am now a person who works out on the internet. You're going to be an E or F list internet celebrity, but for your, yeah, but you could do a pull up. I can do a pull up. Did you, could you do a pull up when you were a preacher? I could, yes. Okay. So this is, it wasn't a new thing. It wasn't like, well, now that I've sold my soul to Satan and forsaken the holy way of the (laughs) Lord. 
I may as well oh, try to cling to my finitude. Yes. By <laughs> cardiovascular exercise. Yeah, getting my getting my strength up. Like gotta hold on to life as long as I can. I think we've talked before that him doing being a CrossFit coach was his way of like getting out of ministry for yeah. like an hour or a couple of hours when he was when he was in full time service. Speaking of which, friends, let's get back on track. Trip. Yeah. How long did you serve in full time ministry? Fifteen years. Fifteen years. And in what wow. positions did you serve? Ooh. Well, I did a variety of youth ministry things. And then I was a campus minister. And then the longest I, I worked at I was Baptist and then after getting uh encouraged to resign uh, a number of times. <laughs> uh my wife and I are both ordained Baptists. Alicia, who's friends with Sarah as well, we when we moved to Los Angeles when I was doing my PhD from North Carolina, we worked at a very large UCC church. And I mean very large for mainline Protestants, you know. Like yeah, eight hundred people. You really have to like say that. Yeah. yeah. Eight hundred people. Not not eight thousand. But and and there we both worked there for four years. When we had our second kid and I had finished my coursework, I kept working there for I guess we were there like eight and a half years or so. And over the course of that, it, by the time I left, I was preaching a third of the time and in charge of most education things and had, yeah, I mean, we had like a hundred and some kids and 60 youth. And that meant I was supervising for most liberal Protestants. I was in charge of more than their church. You know what I mean? But yeah, yeah no, no. I was just going to say that's the size of most churches in the liberal Protestant movement is like a hundred and 20-ish. Well, we might have only had that that many that knew we were liberal Protestants because the church was in a mansion. It was turned into a church on a cliff in Palos Verdes Estates. So I regularly had the experience where you're at the first session for potential new members and there's a family there, you know, maybe they're, they could have been one of those families that was like, we have to get our kid religious because otherwise the drugs and the sex so oh, yeah, well, we yeah, want yeah. a church with pretty music and a view and good coffee. So mm-hmm. they come, they're there for a while, and mm-hmm. then they go to the 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 first, like, get to know the church you're about to join. And we're like, you know, we're the UCC. Like, we were down for ordaining women and gay people and environmental justice and social justice and racial justice, like, in the 80s. And, like, uh, and they're like, huh? What are we talking about here? <laughs> so <laughs> so, yeah. so I, I am pretty sure. Did any of them like pick up their children and slowly walk back? Yeah, you had like two groups, yeah. those that were there for the view. And then like the ones that that was what they were looking for. They would call, mm. they would call and ask to speak to one of the ministers. And if it was anything, a kid or a youth or like, they just sounded under 50. They were like, just send them to trip. And <laughs> uh, the, the question I got the most, and I would never have believed I got this just from North Carolina Baptist preachers kid. Everything was in North Carolina basically until I got there. But I bet Sarah's heard this one before as a SoCal minister. So uh, I'm thinking of sending my teenager to to the youth group uh, for some religion. Uh-huh. Do you like the gays and the planet? Uh-huh. And you're uh-huh. into helping others? And you're like, yeah. <laughs> Do you think that Jews are going to hell? No. No. No, like I. If there is a hill, it's probably empty. That's kind of how we roll. Like, 
<laughs> oh, okay. Okay. So you're not that serious. And, and things like that, you know, like the, there was the other group that were just like, we feel like we need to do religion and uh, we're a bit yeah, uncomfortable. I had two kids that were sent to me, well, yeah, over the time, two kids that were homeschooled that were sent to me to get socialization. But like the one kid was was autistic and the mom was like, yeah, this is his one hour of uh, like being able to connect to people a week. And I was like, oh, OK. So like, why did you choose this church? Oh, you know, it's like going to be the least offensive to our belief system. <laughs> <laughs> it was like okay wow cool do you know that i was on the opposite side of those conversations they would ask if we liked the gays and the planet and believed in hell and they they wanted to know that we did not in fact like the gays <laughs> and that we thought everyone we was wanted going to destroy to the planet as we drank out of our straws yes yeah do you have gluten-free options and oh you don't good good <laughs> we want them to swell up and yes. i hope you <laughs> Real communion, there. right? Real bread, right? Every third oh, cup geez. of grape juice is alcohol, just in case someone's in recovery. We yeah, wanted to be just dangerous, just, just like going before the up. Lord. Yeah. It's dangerous. You go up there with your handicap access. No liberal, liberal plot. Like, yeah. But I, so uh, I got a lot of that. And then I after yeah. after teach after working in churches, then I taught I and still do teach future ministers. So you know, I know I love it, and I think. We we've had this like sense of we we had a lot of people and, you know, because you actually listen to the show, you're one of my friends who actually listens to the show, which is lovely. And sometimes you actually ask me about it. But, you know, we've had a lot of people who had to leave for various reasons and haven't been able to reengage work within the ministry. But one of the things that's been fun the last couple of episodes is we've had people who have stayed and stayed differently. And I would say you stayed in ministry in some ways because you work with those who are going to go into ministry. Does it feel like it's an extension of ministry or do you, are you are you more on like, yeah. Okay, so so now I have this weird thing. So the last three years I was in a normal a faculty position at the University of Edinburgh. So you have future ministers. I was regularly doing like continuing ed things for like Church of Scotland, Scottish Episcopal things, things you would do if you're working at a school that does that. But we also had a giant, there were 800 and some people in the divinity school, but the divinity school there just means any religion major. It doesn't mean like oh, divinity school. So I mm -hmm. thought I got there. I'm like, where did I thought, I thought Scotland was one of the least religious parts of Europe. There are 800 and some people in the divinity school, you know, and then I find out only 30 of them are preparing for ministry. <laughs> the rest <laughs> are just like religious studies or any anything adjacent of undergrad through PhDs and anyway these for the lulls yeah <laughs> <laughs> they were just like shits and giggles <laughs> yeah um it mostly meant that they were the undergrads were children of the the upper part of the UK and oh you know and and they were like I want to I want to read literature and study religions and because who knows i don't really need a job later you know when, uh, yeah, when the 18 year old asked story. you to nope. go get coffee and they're like no all right so good i got it and you're like no nah, you're <laughs> yeah, yeah i got it i got it really and you're like oh like they're worried about you yeah they're like yeah. look at you <laughs> little trust me little baby <laughs> faculty <laughs> member 
<laughs> but uh, you're poor. After after that, and being there during lockdown was quite the crazy experience. So we went from you know either at least one of us, uh, Alicia and I, have worked at churches the whole time we were married. Uh, we tried to work at the same church after she was pregnant with our first kid. We were like, well, we don't want to go to two churches and stuff. So then we worked at the same church. That didn't work out well, probably because I'm not the greatest coworker if I'm also married to you. Yeah. That's the least. Which happens less frequently than you would think. I mean, you are Baptist, but you're not that kind of Baptist. I know. I know. I was, I did, I was like, Alicia, you should use more hair product and fluff your hair up. And then I think everything works out. Like, then you'll be like the real <laughs> partner in According ministry. According to you. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and can you play the organ? Because she needed to play the organ yeah. in can this you, case. Can you do like a like the weird like pastel blue hair color? Oh, oh really? Well, Alicia and our daughter Cora, who's nine, they dyed their hair this weekend. So Alicia's got oh. uh, purple, and Cora's is like dark red. So well, you're halfway Ooh. there then. Yeah, but the the so we were there in lockdown. It was the first time neither one of us worked at a church, and so. That was the first time we actually like had to find a church because they weren't paying one of us. And it was in lockdown in another country. So that was crazy. When we moved back to North Carolina, it gotten to the point that homebrewed Christianity and everything related to the podcast and online teaching and all those things and stuff all meant I could only have one job if we didn't spend too much money, which meant I didn't get right. to move back to Southern California. Sad. But are you are you a really affluent person in Southern California looking for someone to come over there? I was talking to your listeners, Sarah. I'm just volunteering. If the Lord <laughs> oh, lays it on me. their heart to come up with a way for me to be back on the beach, I'm open. Just saying. But yeah, that's really great of you. Yeah. To, to house a family. Yeah. 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 I've, I've, so I've had two jobs basically most of my time as an adult. So this is the first time with one. And so we, we were like, oh, we want to be within driving distance of family. But not too close. And yeah, so we moved to, to Greensboro, North Carolina, and now we've been doing the visiting churches and stuff. And I'll just say there's not lots of options. Mm -hmm. And if you wanted your child and our teenager to have the kind of experience you had, if I had a very good upbringing in the, in church, positive experiences and such, uh, it, there's only a few of them that passed that phone call test I got so many times. So now I just want to say for the parents that call, like, do you like the gays, the planet, the poor, into justice, and don't think the Jews are going to hell? I found that I now I want to be that guy. <laughs> like, I just am like, can I save myself some time? If you could just tell me these ones. And I know it's a dumb way of asking the question, but if you just. But it's not really. If you just, just say yes anyone, to those. Anyone in ministry, put that on your website, man. Mm -hmm. Like you're gonna save save yourself so many people time. so much time. I feel like save churches should time. just put that up there. They're like, we know what you're looking for, and basically, it's like a thumbs up or thumbs down to seven or eight topics, and then links to all the ministers' Instagram so they can see if you look creep creep. That would just yeah. save everyone time. It's like dating. That's, that well, that's what people do. I they're looking at that, the Sarah. staff pictures to see if they're creepy. You know, and they're also looking if there's theology in there somewhere or what are your beliefs are. Yeah. And like, that's really what people look for. 
And it, and the problem is if they don't have beliefs, then they're going to look at your staff picture to determine, does this guy look like he likes the gays or not? Yeah. Like, or is he closeted where you want to wish he had permission yeah, to? Is he closeted mm-hmm. or is like, oh, that man, that man is very my theory is that if like, half the staff isn't a straight guy, then you're generally safe. This is my new shorthand because yeah. mm, I have visited fair. some places where even on the website, they're just like, we love everybody and we mean every and things like that. And you get there and you're like, I don't think I saw anyone with a dude with a microphone. Yeah. And, yeah, you know, it's all straight white dudes. Yeah. You're hmm. like, what's up with that? What's up with that? So this is I feel like I have patronized people for asking those stupid questions to me on a phone. And now being a pastor's kid and then working in churches since I was in college, I the first time I don't have one that's paying me, which meant they hired me and liked me. I'm like, so about do you like gay people, the planet, the poor down for justice and don't think other people are going to hell? Could you just go ahead and get there? I feel like there is also this like sense that people know who you are. Like if people know who you are, it's either good or bad. It's either like, oh, okay, you're down for this. Or it's, oh, no, uh, oh. we know who you are. Yeah. I uh, Okay, well, I guess I can't say which church this was. But there's one I went to, which I had a relationship with the senior minister a long time ago when I was in North Carolina. And now they're at this church. So I'm like, oh, good. This individual's great. And they see me right before worship and they're like, what are you doing here? I was like, well, you moved here. So it's like visiting churches at what I thought things went good. Went a few times, talked to the individual who regularly would send me messages and stuff, you know, in life. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. The kids thought it was pretty cool. Like maybe we can get together sometime. Now this individual would have gone out of their way to spend some time with me when I was just in North Carolina, not living here, ghosted. I was Uh like, I got rev ghosted. You got ghosted? Yes, by minister. I'm just like, I think they were just worried that I was going to judge their sermon. And here's the thing. I am. And it's not going to go good. (laughs) But I judge my own worse than anyone else's. (laughs) But I, I generally assess ministers by what the kind of interested but not that engaged person in the in the worship service, if I ask them about when I'm visiting, I'm like, oh, how long have you been going here? Blah, 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 blah. Well, what do you think about worship? Oh, blah, 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 blah. Well, have you, what's been your experience with the, the, the staff and the clergy? And if that person's like, oh, they're pretty good, but they were really good in, and then they insert a story where it sounds like they were a good minister, I'm like, great, you know, but mm-hmm. if... That's your litmus test. I mean, I got Rev ghosted. That's your next podcast. Rev ghosted. Rev ghosted. Rev ghosted. I think stories being ghosted. So many of our people who listen, if they want to be re-engaged in a community, it is a really difficult process to find one. Yes. Mm -hmm. Especially it's like, uh, you know, it's that thing of like, I I don't need perfection, but I do know what it looks like when it's done poorly. And I know what it looks Mm -hmm. like when it's done well. Or just mediocre. I want to find just mediocre. yeah, Any middle the number, of the road. The number of sermons and worship services I've sat in that were like, this is phoned in. Like, you're phoning <laughs> this in. And we've all been and, there. That's and the we've thing done it. We've hard. all done it. You know, yeah. like, it's like, give a church two weeks because I mean, you might have been yeah. there. Like, it could have been a four mm-hmm. funerals week. And those yeah. happen, you know. But don't but, ask on the way out. Right. When you're they're shaking hands. Did you have a lot of funerals this week? <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> Just saying. Just saying. That seems like a Saturday that. night special to me. I know. See, my yeah. theory is the rest of my family is 
like really hoping we get to a church that the two picky members of my family enjoy just so that I can be the most exuberant volunteer because you know, with homebrewed and stuff like basically every week, I'm probably facilitating some online small group with three to 4,000 people, Yeah, <laughs> you know, and the, and I'm like reading theology books and writing books and preparing talks. And then like one or two times a month, I'm somewhere talking probably at a church or a theology school. And then like I get home and, and I feel like this weird vibe where like, my family hadn't even found a church we're like going to in the city. And we like, there's only so many options. I, there's not, I'm like, Alicia, you should really hope one of these works out or I'm going to church plant. And it's not on my agenda. <laughs> and she's like, dear God, please. Please don't. She's <laughs> like, somebody in the, can I, here's the other, the other pet peeve. And they all tell me if this even makes sense, but, and this maybe is a more Southern thing, but I swear we've been at two different places where like in the worship service let's say you have this weird problem called people that aren't 50 and older right and you Wait. know what they happen to have adults that are under 50 children now yeah here's the thing if they bring their children to church ideally something positive and you aren't having program time for said children during worship i i think it's great I actually love having my family with me in worship. That's perfectly fine as long as they're allowed to be their age. But if you don't and then give death stares or I don't know, come up and say something to the two or three families that are in the back trying to decide what to do with children that are like five to 12 who are acting their age. I'm like, come on, come on. There's only like there's only like six churches in this whole town that that like are open and affirming. Could you at least be open and affirming to kids? All right. right. Like I'm just saying either plan something where they go, where it's formative, not like playing on a playground the whole time. I'm talking like something related to Jesus or uh, call the ball that they pass around. God is loving. It touches you. I don't care anything or <laughs> just like and, and let them be children. We've had some experiences like that. And I'm like, you, you know how, you know, how you get looked at like you are the Willy Wonka golden ticket. When you walk mm -hmm. into a church visiting as a family oh, yeah. with children, they're like, oh, this is great. And then your child sounds like a child and they're like, what the hell is that? <laughs> You're like, it's a child. That's and what if they weren't think... preacher's kids? Like I uh, know what to Jesus. do, right? Like, uh, it, so what happens if they're just like normal kids that haven't had years of all my unspoken and I hope not communicated pressure on them to perform <laughs> for my financial well-being at church? You know, what happens if they don't have a lot of preacher's kid guilt? Then they might even be more their age. And I'm like, Jesus, can you please help these churches out? Give them a minute. And it's, it's not hard to, for if someone that listens to this as a minister, here's what you do. If you find out that happens or you see it, if you hear the noise, say, oh, that is a joyful noise to the Lord. I know it might have sounded like a kid, but the fact that they are here getting to be themselves means that you, too, get to be yourself. So there might be a secret you're holding, mm -hmm. a guilt you're carrying, a shame. That's you just start oh, preaching. You. Go ahead and say, you know what they get to bring to themselves? 
them at their age. And yeah. you know, there was this story. I'm not going to, I know y'all probably all know this and would never do this, there but there goes. was a time where the disciples are trying to keep children from seeing Jesus. Ah, you better. And Here he said, comes. let the children come to me. And then he gives them a hard time for being really horrible disciples. And as obviously as people with that in our Bible, we would do better than that. But I just wanted to say, what, what what's your kid's name? Yep. She just made a joyful noise to the Lord. All right. I want you to turn around and greet everyone. Just do that. You want to know? Guys, 80% if you need of the people Trip would. to come speak to your church, he's ready to do it. I, Trip, I find yeah. it so fascinating. We're going to launch a consulting you... business, man. We're just, yeah, you're going to do it. You're planning a church and launching a consulting business on this podcast. Jeez. I think it's, I, it's interesting because I find it. There's so many of us that are your friends, that are dear friends, that were very involved in church, worked on church staff, whatever it might be, walked away for various reasons. And you, you're with us in that, but you're also able to hold on to this hope for what church could be. You're able to sort of hold the tension of, you know, those of us that aren't currently part of church communities or like me, I still, still give financially to the church that I belong to because it is such an amazing space for the community. It's just not something that I'm currently engaged in. But you seem to have this ability to hold optimism for what the church could be, even if you can't find one that works. Can you talk a little bit about like, how do you do that? I mean, I, I find it amazing because you're, you are a magnet for people who have been let down by the church. Yeah. You know, again and again, when I meet people who are your fans, who aren't necessarily <laughs> your friends, like when I go to events and people will say, yeah, I go to these classes because it's church for me. Mm-hmm. And yet you still hold on to this, like, Hope for the physical church. Yeah. Well, here I would put it. So there's two parts to that. One is just like if you're one of those people and the only thing you can find wherever you live mm-hmm. or manage because of trauma and such is engaging online. Like what? What? There's nothing inherently wrong about doing that. And yeah. like if you have some weird church bingo card that you're trying to check off spots to it really facilitates Paul saying whenever two or three are gathered or not give up the habit of gathering together, like, don't, you know, no need to kill yourself. Like, don't beat yourself up about like, it's great. Like I'm down for it. And I think it's awesome. Like I regularly get emails from people who I know just because we've engaged so much online. And then they're like, but I still feel insert these things. I'm like, why are you beating yourself up? Have you tried and you want something else? Have you tried? Yeah. Here's what my options are. Blah, blah, blah. I was like, I maybe you should volunteer to be a church survey person in your area because you've clearly done it now. I mean, like I get if you haven't spent any time doing it and you want it and you're just like, I want it to fall on my lap. And I'm like, yeah, but I think that about a lot of things, it does nothing, nothing important comes super easy very often. But the, the, the optimism or maybe like, I don't know if I'd call it optimism, but the my my hope for what for church is that yeah maybe it's hopefulness is a better word there are certain things that the the internet does unique and different and is really wonderful but there are some things that only really work if you're in a room with people mm-hmm. and you have time with people and and that is the space to be known and to know the other and hear the same words you hear that I'll say on a podcast. Like, well, I mean, and Sarah, you and I are friends when we got together before beer camp, 
right? Like you came in early and we were hanging out and you were telling me about the things that were going on in your life. And I was telling you about ours because we had just moved and we're having these struggles, blah, 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 blah. And in the middle of it, both of us gave each other affirmations where I could, I know when I went into like, oh, this is awesome. Like we both know each other and have shared enough. I can say something for you that I know you couldn't voice right now, but then you returned and did it for me. And it was like, oh, that was beautiful. Well, you know what that, where that happens on a regular basis in friends who think their agenda is the grace of God. That's why I think the church <laughs> is cool. Like if it does that, Right. Like, but if you just, if you were to go through like the, the gospels and see like what is essential, like the first thing Jesus in all four gospels starts calling disciples. He starts with where fishermen, fishermen. This was the frontier of exploitation in that very time period. Uh, yeah. Herod had started, a, had started taxing fishermen to then move um, wealth and then like owning the access to food there so that even people in Israel couldn't even get their own fish, right? Like the frontier of exploiting the working class was fishermen who then hear Jesus talk about the kingdom of God. He's like, what's up with that? Boom shakalaka. I can resonate, right? And then it starts <laughs> this community of like, there's a divine vision, the kingdom of God, where God is present, active and affirming us and calling us to be a community for one another in all these different ways. And then it grows out to all these different, you then see like, People on the margins that are connected to the exploiters like Zach Kiss or Matthew, the tax collectors, these kinds of things. You get all these different individuals who are cut out for social or physical reasons, like be it leprosy or then people for social reasons like women of ill repute or these kinds of like think of it. It's like these <laughs> layers of people that are connected and he grows the movement out that way. And it goes through all this whole this whole process. But, it, but like Jesus begins and works precisely by being a community where the ways you are being harmed, the baggage that you're carrying, and the possibilities for life that God has for you and are being impeded, this community cares about all of it. And then it kind of grows out of that. If you just like follow and do like basic historical setting of his ministry. And I think that all those things are happening in the present. There are groups that are being oppressed and marginalized. There are people that are socially, culturally, religiously being ostracized. And the, if we do a good job as the church, we have something we can say uh, that is both historic and profound. In our world, most of the logics are not ones where the most true thing about you is your God's beloved. Most logics in the world are not ones that well, that beautiful affirmation of you is also true of your neighbor and your enemy and your non-human neighbors. That is awesome. It's amazing. Like there are very few organizations who the oldest thing they have written down is let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who did not count equality with God, something to be grasped, but humbled himself, taping the form of a servant. So if you're looking at our world like that, there could be communities who are like, did you know you're so beloved that if you told the truth, I would say your sins are forgiven and boom, shakalaka, it's even better than that. And that like, do you want to know what it looks like? If you start to receive all the love that's there, we're going to figure out how to know our neighbors and bless our neighbors, not because we have to, but because we get to, because they too bear the same love that's in you. That 
is pretty cool. So that's like my optimism is we are walking around in a world that bear the image of the divine, the divine who is love. And then we come up with stories, narratives, scripts, harms, pains that then block us off and cut us off from the very flourishing of life God has for us. And yes, tons of cool stuff can happen on the internet, but most of what I do is about what you think. Yeah. And there are plenty of hindrances people have about what they think is fine to work through it and all that kind of stuff. But like, the what was bet I I told Alicia this the other day and I was like oh I'm gonna get to talk to them on Rev Covery but like we had the well, I don't know Sarah we hung out for probably four or five hours before we basically saw anyone else but if you yeah, said to me so what was the best part it was like when someone else is coming we're getting up to go meet them and then we gave each other a hug why it wasn't because everything had been magical up until that point because we've known each other a long time when we're friends yeah and we knew in the hug was. Like whatever was happening there was something that we also have encountered in the divine and we knew we got to give it to each other. And then we were going to get to hang out with a bunch of people flying there from all over the country who had those pains. And then we were going to try to host it so that they got to have that moment where they knew they were known and, and they were loved. That could happen more frequently if we figured out how to do it in local gatherings. So like, yeah, that's my optimism but it's not I like a blind it. one, right? And it's less blind now that I don't work at one. There's a certain hermeneutic if they hire you, you know, they've right. Googled you. Uh, <laughs> we are going to take a break. I am so on fire to have the next part of this conversation. We're going to take a break. Go, guys, grab whatever beverage you'd like. Go hang out, whatever you need. We'll be coming back soon. Take a potty break or what do they call it? Like a biology break. A biology uh, and we'll break. be yeah, back I don't like after. That. Uh, like you don't that. like it? Yeah, bio you don't break. Like a biology break. We'll come back. We're gonna after talk about a the mechanisms of, of evolution. Ads. Oh my gosh! Biology <laughs> break. I'm, I'm here for that. Come back. First Corinthians warned you about the women with a loud mouth, and this podcast is just that. Here at the Speaking in Church podcast, we talk all about the regular people and the things that regularly happen to them in the evangelical church. It's a podcast about change. It's a podcast about seeking moral high ground. And it's a podcast for people who are just trying to deconstruct on the safe side. You can listen wherever you get your podcast. And if you want to be a guest, yes, you, regular person, you can be a guest on the Speaking in Church podcast. If you want to come on, just let us know. Let's get back to it, friends. I love this idea of what church or community or friendship could be. So just to give everyone a little bit of a background, I'd had like the worst week of my life and was considering not coming to Theology Bear Camp. From a breakup to my car falling apart to my dog being sick, I was like a country That was song. a rough week. Yeah, I remember it that. It was the If her mom had week. just gotten out of prison, it would have been the perfect country and western Perfect song. country song. Truly. And I had originally just thought, and, and I thought like, okay, I'm just gonna like hold this in. I was gonna do my frozen theology, conceal, don't feel. But I know that Tripp and I are such good friends that I, that wouldn't last long. And then I find out like the day before that I'm flying in a day earlier than everyone else because for some reason I got the dates wrong. But it really did feel like what I would have said back in the day was a God moment where my I needed to be with people who knew me really well and could speak things into me that I couldn't see for myself. And so when I land, you were like, how are you? And I answered truthfully as I got in your car. Like it was hilarious. Like I'm getting in your car and I'm like, I'm not great. My boyfriend broke up with me. My car is breaking down and my dog is sick. And you're like, okay. You're like, and well, like we I'm looking had... forward to day drinking with 250 people. 
No, I'm just- <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it, was- <laughs> it was just very like I didn't know. I didn't know how to be, and I didn't. I didn't want to be performative because I've worked so hard since leaving ministry to not force myself to be performative when I'm not in a good space. Like I don't think that's good for anyone. I mean, I'm not like, hey, everyone, let me tell you what happened in my private life, but not to be like everything's great. And so I was really worried about coming. And the reason that I say this is like it was such sacred space in some mm-hmm. ways to sit in your car and to feel like, oh wow. You and I have a couple hours. I hadn't eaten. I'm, I'm not able to eat when I'm stressed out. And so I hadn't eaten. And we went to a meal. And it was the first time I really ate in like a week. And I just sat and ate with you. And I kind of forgot I had eaten. Like it was just the best feeling of like, yeah, just being able to be seen. And I think what I find so appealing about your image and vision of what community can be is this idea of being able to be yourself fully, like your kid being a kid. And I think that a lot of people who have left ministry or even left church communities have left because they can't be themselves Mm -hmm. in the space. Yeah, I think that's one of the problems with the, it's like every institution, even if it's religious or not, right? Like all of them have deep suspicion towards them currently, culturally. And one of the things institutions do when they don't know about their survival on the terms mm-hmm. of what they call flourishing, which is usually what the people that donate call flourishing, not the people that run it v- because they have a passion for the heart of the ministry or yes. like the person that runs like uh, uh, I, one of my neighbors runs a flag football league. And he's always like, we only need to have a number of teams based on the number of coaches who are really committed to helping people develop character and in, com- in you know, with like boys that are, you know, like in the single digits, like it's okay. I don't want to have anyone to have a bad experience where they don't have the right coach, but then oh, right. Awesome. Like everyone that's expecting to get paid from investing in it. It's like, nah, we got more kids. You can find a coach. And nah, none of them met my requirements, you know? And I, and he was talking about that. So I think this is not a universal one and everyone knows, well, okay. If you don't, I'm sorry. You probably watch morning Joe too much, but that political parties are not run by the people that have the deepest commitments to us, the people that can play weird games that make you uh, uh, subhuman as you thrive. But like, if if we bracket the kind of crappiness that we're going through, both in the judging of institutions and the inertia for their survival, and then go, oh, well, well, what could happen in communities and groups? They're then then I think it gives us this way to set aside our cynicism and mm. and the pain and trauma and things that are there and go, yeah, but there are some things we do better because we cooperate and work together. And yeah. and here's here's why I give money to five of my friends' church plants because I don't have a church to tithe to currently. Because I want to give money so that there's someone who is trained has a Rolodex to refer if they need a counselor, knows how to call a health professional if they're needed, but will show up at these individual, the communities they're serving on their worst day and tell them they're cared for. Like the here, I don't think people understand until they have a crisis, how beautiful it is for someone to walk in who has no financial motive at helping you through that moment and process and is only going to be your ally if they're doing their job well, and no matter what you say or confess or share, they will want 
the most flourishing thing to happen for everyone that's there. That and and look, I have taught some dumb people theology class. I'm not I'm and I'm not gonna name <laughs> the institutions, but I have taught some people dumb they're dumb. I mean, I gave them B pluses because of the Lord, you know? And I would prefer <laughs> them as my minister because yeah, you know what sure. why they what they said yes to when they were called? It wasn't to impress me on the on their theology paper. They said no. yes because they wanted to be the face that a group of people trusted and empowered to be there at a group at people's worst day, be it people in that congregation or people adjacent to it. Like and because of the church I worked at, we were on a cliff where a lot of people committed suicide. I have yes. talked to families because the cops called me that were it was near us after a few times. They were like, oh, well, Trip can basically tolerate almost anyone and figure out what to do. And we don't want to do it. But then you get there. And I always think to myself, who do you call if there's not this person? So I give money for these institutions at churches until I have one because I think we are in a better world. Like, you know how like right now people are debating whether or not we should use money to give people actually healthy food for that are that are economically disadvantaged for breakfast and lunch? Yeah. They're like, well, what about slop? See, that is the kind of logic that that is the kind of logic that's forced upon when there's not actual support for the people trying to do a job. No one I know that actually makes lunches at schools, and there are two of them in my family, want to serve just carbohydrates no. and fats and call it vegetables. But they're based on like the funding. And I feel the same way. Uh, like, I don't, maybe you two are both ministers. How many of the times you did funerals or showed up in grief and stuff were just because they, they paid you? About half, about half the times I was somewhere, did the family or friends that were connected to someone or the community event or the cops called, was that someone that paid me? The other half? We're just because someone needed someone who to be someone's ally and listen, and I showed up. Mm -hmm. I yeah. think we need more people who pass the really dumb phone question. Do you like gay people, the planet, the poor, and do you think Jews are going to hell? Questionnaire who show up and have time because you and all three of us here have this weird, I don't know what you'd call the piecing together your income through all sorts of things because you left a job that had what was called retirement and benefits. Yeah. Except for Justin, he got a, he got a job. I, I got a job that had retirement and benefits because my minister's job didn't. Well, but I wasn't mainline. See, that's the thing. I wasn't evangelical and we really work for the Lord. Like it's, you know, so what I hear you saying is you want to be recruited by the UCC. If the UCC came calling with a big enough paycheck, and the right job, Ooh. I would listen to that call. Rev. Ooh. Rev. I would, I heard I, that. You notice how Rev I said that? I said I would, I would listen. Rev I would listen turning. to the call. Rev recovery. <laughs> <laughs> we, got, we got Rev ghosting. We got Rev recovery, yeah. but now Rev, we got Rev yeah. recovery. Rev, Rev recovery. Well, but they would, they would need to be okay with. Well, they would be. Yeah, is there retirement involved here? Benefits? I can get my student loans 
forgiven okay that let's talk great. forgiven you don't need to get them forgiven if you're working for a non-profit and don't really get paid living wages because see that's they, true so they all true. get forgiven because then you can do income-based repayment it. and then they just like you're so sad you don't need to pay anything yeah that's anyway, what i do like, i organize my life around not being too successful to lose income-based <laughs> repayment but being yes. just successful enough to feed my children Yes. Yeah. You don't want to fall into the donut it's the hole Goldilocks there where you have to pay. Yeah. Yeah. If you, if the uh, last year at the end of the year, it was like the the year we just had, cause I was doing taxes. I was like $3,000 from like getting screwed. And so I was like, Hey, can I prepay somebody? I was like, anybody want to edit some podcasts? I was like, <laughs> I was like, cause if it goes down, <laughs> Trippy's gonna write a very large check, and uh, the one very conservative Republican member of my family was like, "I can't believe you would orchestrate your life on being right between a ten thousand dollar gap where you can afford to live but not lose income based repayment." And I was like, "You voted for Donald Trump." Like yeah. I was like, "I got nothing on top of him being a rapist and all sorts of other things creeping up into teenagers." Miss America, like rooms, all that kind of stuff. But homeboy bragged about not paying taxes, right? Like, yeah. All like I'm trying to system. do is hit the the median zone where all the poor life advice boomers gave me don't catch up with me, and I can't like, you know, go out to eat. This is this is trips yeah. like weird vibe. Anyway, yeah, like that's the thing, you know. Like you can cheat the system if you're wealthy, but if you're poor and you the system well that's just awful exactly i really feel like you're a real american now justin thank you yeah it's true i you, i want everyone to know the number of american flags behind justin on this video is very significant <laughs> it's so not true <laughs> american flags that's i have a bronze eagle that's in his workout box isn't that what you guys call your gyms the box yeah the box like the yeah I, song? see i actually um i was i, I well no i don't think i was working out in my Canada t-shirt the other day. So Yay! that's my people, my home and native. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. The kind of want to shift a little bit. Cause you know, being a minister, there's, there's a lot of pressure to believe the right things. And like, I joke about like taking the call from the UCC, but they would be, they would need to be okay with me being an atheist at least one day a week. Like yeah, but I would need to get that allotment. Experiences. Is I wish it was only one day a week for most of the people on my church council, you know? <laughs> yeah, that's true. At least one day a week. And I think that's the difficult thing about being a minister is is congregants can have those days mm -hmm. and then you get to be there for them during those days. When you're a minister in a lot of denominations, you don't get those days. Or, you don't get them vocally. The, you don't get them vocally. You have them for sure. Oh, yeah. But you don't get them. You don't get to voice them. You don't get to struggle. Like, who do you even tell? Honestly, mm -hmm. what denomination were you in, Justin? I was the West in the Wesleyan Church. Yeah. So uh, similar to United Methodist in theology, except just except a little not. more John Piper. Yeah, yeah. Except a little more John Piper. <laughs> like, just add John just Piper a, to that just mix. A touch a, not John Wesley. John Piper. The yeah. other John. So like John Wesley and then John Piper. Like just just and just enough to be like evangelical. So they brag about having, like, legally, and according to their polity, they could have, you know, women as pastors, but there weren't any. Well, you know, just so it was like that was ordained the... doesn't mean they need a job. Yeah, because they're sure. women. We are, 
Yeah, we ordained. <laughs> we ordained. They obviously need women to be birthing children. Yeah. Wow, I feel like it just so everyone knows they're they're not being honest right now. Yeah. The sarcasm I thought was clear, Sarah, because <laughs> just in case. I I mean we've told enough stories about our mutual friendship, my affirmation of your yeah, giftedness. True. Like yeah. I <laughs> I've, I I've told true. Sarah many times I would gladly, you know, be a part of whatever church you led or like, oh, thanks, you know, guys. whatever, like, so, but yeah, the, the denomination I was in and the denomination I was in too, was like really big into abolition, like back in the day, yeah. like they, you know, and, but you look around you're like, there's almost no ministers of color and there's no, almost no women that are ministers. It's all white dudes talking about how the gays are awful. It, yeah. Yeah. The, it was like, I'm not allowed to evolve. Like yeah, you you're, shouldn't. I'm, I'm stuck and you, stuck. you, you cannot like, once you, once you sign on, you're frozen. Like you can't change. You can't grow. You, I mean, you can, you can doubt like on a Monday. And then as you come back around by Saturday, then you can share that in the sermon. And then people will be like, Oh, he doubted. Now he's back, mm -hmm. you know? Yay, um, did it. But there's not, there's no opportunities. I think that's, Honestly, the freedom I found in not being a minister is the freedom to just engage my own curiosity and mm -hmm. and to go to something like like going to theology beer camp. I was I was like, I, I feel not Christian necessarily again, but like I feel like, yeah, I'm down with this again, mm -hmm. you know, for a little bit because it felt very it felt very good and it felt like home and it felt like, you know, you're able to be curious and, and engaged in, in what the divine is doing in the world. But I think there's just a lot of ministers that don't, that don't have that kind of freedom and, yeah. or the, yeah. based on their position, they're stuck. And so I guess like, how do you, how do you, how do you work through that? How do you make, how do you, how do you create a community that is more open when you yourself are kind of stuck not by the people necessarily but usually by the you know there's always that denominational like enforcer on the board right because that, yeah. in a one-on-one -on -one conversation most of those people would totally get it if you were honest with them it's just yeah. if you did it why you why you had your collar on metaphorically they're like yeah. whoa i thought we'd ask mm -hmm. outsource performing these beliefs to you you're really creeping yeah. right. me out right now justin yeah so what you're saying is is my big question i think to both of you is is this job doable in the way like it is doable in a one-on-one -on -one environment right where you can care for the person that's in front of you but when you have all of these expectations because it's not just the person in front of you that gets to have a say it's you know it it's feeling like you have to show up it's feeling like you have to be there for families it's also feeling like you have to be there for a system it's also feeling like you got to figure out how to keep the the system going so you get a paycheck. It just feels like it's easy for us who are mm -hmm. no longer fiscally tied to a denomination. I mean, I am in some ways, but no longer, they're not paying me at all. So, but no longer fiscally tied to say, this is what I would love for ministry to look like. But it, it feels like it is a, just such a big job, quote unquote job, with so many expectations that there is literally no human that can do it. Like that, that pastor that you're calling and asking all those questions to my, because it's so fresh to where I had just been about a, you know, almost two years ago is like, I remember getting those calls and just being like, well, how am I going to fail you? Mm. Like you'll show up. And yes, it's true that all of those things, I meet those. Yeah, absolutely. But it sounds to me like you've been 
through some church trauma. So when you show up, are you going to be waiting for me to fail you? And now I know you well enough to know that's not the case. But I do know that those of us who have been really concerned with ministry to the uh, marginalized, all this sort of stuff, ministry with the marginalized, I mean, it is so hard to, yeah, to, to meet everyone's expectations and needs. And I don't know, is this job doable if you're doing it in a way that is authentic to all meeting all the needs that you're hoping to meet? Well, Justin, she asked both of us the question. I think you should answer she did. first. So. You're right. <laughs> but I'm, I, I'm bad at answering quickly. So I'm, um, I, on the one, well, if I'm going to look at my denominational experience and my experience in ministry, so just looking at it from that's, where that's all I'm asking, yeah, where I am, I would say no, it's it's not because I felt this is how I felt. I felt like I was stuck between two options here: either I continue to grow as a human and and grow as a you know as a spiritual being too, like if you want to use that really super woo woo term, like my spirituality, if it was going to grow, my beliefs, my ideas, my my understanding of God, even if that was going to expand, mm. then it was going to expand right out of this role. There's just, there's not, there's not a place for me in this system to, you know, I, I mean, I'm just like thinking like your God is too small the mm -hmm. entire time I'm there. And they're like, well, you're a heretic. And I was like, technically <laughs> I'm an apostate, but okay. Um, <laughs> specifically, yeah, just put my glasses up. Whoop. So I would say, no, it's not doable. Like there's just because you either grow or mm -hmm. you, you, you cut yourself off in some way. Yeah. And there were so many older ministers in that denomination that I saw that were like, like you look in their eyes. It's like, there's nobody's home. Like, like you, you made the choice. You probably yeah. had a lot of questions at one point and you made the choice at one point, like, the paycheck, the position, the whatever is more important. And that's not even a bad decision. Like, I mean, I've got kids. I got mouths to feed. I get it. And leaving oh, ministry, I, having true. done it, is tough. Like, so I get that. But also, it's like you cut your heart off at some point, And I I can't do that. Mm -hmm. So so my answer would be no. But simply okay. because of my experience. Okay, so now I I got in enough trouble early on. To end up in denominations where I was there, like the one that had real personal piety and read the Bible every day. Right. So <laughs> like I didn't have like a negative experience on it in the, in that sense. On my post it while you're, you're giving your questions, I had three things. I'll, I'll say them quickly. You can give, I'll give follow-ups cause I've not done a very good job as a podcast guest, uh, being short winded. All right, so one. I love it. You're I've funny. always told You're the funny. truth, but part of it is because I made a podcast before I worked at churches. Oh, there you go. And so basically you can Google me and find out anything I made. I literally made a movie where I smoked a joint, rolled with the pages of Leviticus and said, puff, 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 Leviticus. So like I like the idea that that I'm going to withhold things when in a pulpit that you can't find on the Internet. There's like 1500 episodes of me saying all sorts of shit. I have four opinions on everything on the internet. So I've changed my mind. I've always been honest, but like I couldn't opt out by the time I had like a full-time job at a church. I had lots of part-times in that process, three of which I got fired from, but uh, for <laughs> theological reasons. So I've always told the truth. And I feel like the perk of that is I couldn't pull it back. So like, 
I'm not suggesting everyone have a podcast just because you can't lie. It also means that I have very limited parts of the country. I could work at a church. So, you know, mm-hmm. there's that other thing I would say is now, like if I was in that position, this is a weird thing. Since I haven't worked at a church for the last four and a half years, I am more confident intellectually, not that this is how most ministers work, about the reality of God, a God who acts that is ultimately personal and was present in Jesus. Like in ways that Tripp, who started homebrewed Christianity, who wasn't sure he even believed in God and stuff would be uncomfortable. And I did it because I was forced to work at a school that made me teach science and religion classes. And I was like, um, most of the people that were atheists and stuff in it were like metaphysically prejudiced, just like fundamentalists. I have this new Man. theory that most people are God-splainers. They're like mansplainers, but worse. Because it's <laughs> not just like, I'm going to tell you how to be a human because I am one of the other gender. No, no, no. This is like, I already know the conclusions that are correct about the ultimate mystery of existence. And then they're obnoxious. Yes. So there's like the secular version and there's the religious version. Any God-splainer is a merchant of certainty and certainty stupid and sh- called idolatry technically. But, you know, that that's my like correlate to your apostate <laughs> comment. Yeah, so nice. like I used to have lots of doubt and such. When, when, when I was in those periods, I always found that if you were a Bible nerd, like most people didn't read the Bible through every year of their life. Some people did. If you're a Baptist preacher's kid, you know? And so I found the, the almost all my experiences and questions that were able to be asked cosmologically, at least in the time scriptures written are there. So like, if you're like, I ask a question, I'm like, yeah, well, have you read lamentations? What about this Psalm or blah, 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 blah. Like they're all sitting there. I'm like, what about Jesus on the cross and Mark? Like they all exist in the Bible. So like, I've always felt I had more allegiance to the spectrum of emotions, experience, questions, and encounters with the divine in the Bible than the church. The church was always a problem, but I was a minister. I'm supposed to tell them what's biblical if you're Baptist. And so, you know, I'm like, did you know you have permission to admit you aren't sure God exists? Did you know you have permission that suffering counters the claim that there's a good God as a source of things? Did you know, you know, all that? And so, but if you're, if you are a super nerd who is very familiar with those doubts, then the tradition has plenty of ways of handing it. I'm not saying that's what people want to hear. I'm just saying that if you are an extrovert, who's compelling with all the perks of being a straight white guy and and all that privilege and compelling in public and can sing. And as a theater person, I found that all these weird things about me gave me permission to say all sorts of stuff. Other staff members at churches I worked at said, I cannot say that. Like I had a faculty, not a faculty, a, a staff member use a prayer I wrote, but she said it. Mm-hmm. And she got in trouble. And she's like, you know, you use that prayer three times already. And they were like, I've never heard it. And they're like, yeah, Trip did it. Well, and it was a prayer where we confessed the fact that a quite a bit of our contributions to the church were from people that were executives at the military industrial complex. Like I, I and here's what my response when the first time someone asked me about that, I was like, 
Yeah, 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 but our Savior and Lord said to pray for your enemies and turn the other cheek. So I'm not saying that he's never encountered like, like, the, on Jesus' mind was literally not being American citizen post-World War II, uh, like, political situation deciding how democracies engage foreign policy. It was not on his agenda. But, like, if it was, and this is my bumper sticker on my car, I'm pretty sure when Jesus said, love your enemies, he didn't mean bomb them. That, yes. Now, mm -hmm. I personally, as a good Niburian, will come up with all sorts of reasons. We might bomb somebody and then repent after. Like, I, I don't, but I have no interest in, like, telling Jesus he's dumb or stupid. I think that that is all revelation of the brokenness of a system that will also kill the person that said we all belong. So the like to me, there I had all these doubts and things for a long time. I've gotten more confident metaphysically about ultimate reality and all sorts of stuff. But like just to say, like the tradition has made space for me if you know it well, and I think a lot of churches don't know the tradition well. Third point, mm -hmm. other than like I've always told the truth because of the podcast, I had early doubts, and then it, it's different now. But the third point to me is that um, there are plenty of times as a minister, I received grace from the tradition that the text we read this week, the prayers that the church prays this week, and all these things were handed to me because I didn't have faith to say them. And mm -hmm. I see it different as to when I'm functioning in a liturgical space when part of what we're doing is performing the tradition so that we get caught up in it versus the preaching moment where we are performing our encounter with the tradition. In, the, in our encounter with the tradition, I perform grace by naming all my doubts and frustrations and questions. But it, when we come into worship and we are doing the, or we're doing the doxology or the confession of faith, I don't sit there and go like after the prayer of confession, your sins are forgiven. Maybe, you know, and that kind of thing. Praise God from whom all blessing throw, if she exists. And, mm. and so there's a certain <laughs> grace of the tradition and I feel like in those spaces, part of what I'm doing as someone that like every Christian's called to to breathe the dream of God through their agency in their vocation and the organizations and all that stuff they're given. A minister is called to do that within the church. And what does that mean? In one, it means the flow of worship and the way you deal with all the other stuff out of it. Like there is a wisdom in the tradition that's bigger than yours. And so some places you're faithful in the places where your own conscience is involved, like the preaching, like if you're a Protestant, this is not true if you're not a Protestant, but if you're a Protestant, the freedom of conscience, the liberty of conscience, all those kind of things are really important. So your encounter with the gospel and your encounter with the gospel in the life of the church and your encounter with the gospel of the world is all part of that space. And there, you have full permission to be your full self. And so I have preached a sunrise service where it, 
like my basic goal was five iron frenzies every new day song and i was like if i can make it that badass it'd be great and then other ones where i was like i don't know but everything before and after it is the tradition we announced the resurrection to the to the dolphins because we're on a cliff and and to me i feel like that became how i acknowledged the predicament that some people in more conservative traditions don't have permission to do sometimes you're you you're doing your vocation just like an engineer like what do we do we do this math we do these things to figure this out or a teacher i the fact that my 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 kid is mad at me doesn't change whether i'm going to be nice to this kid and help them learn to read or whatever and yeah. part of being a part of the christian tradition is that there's a liturgy and a rhythm to worship because there's a wisdom in it and you are being faithful to it but the task of preaching for the congregation means you're being honest to yourself and all the people that are there. Sometimes that meant I had to be honest about my own doubts, frustrations, and such. Other times, it means I had to name the pain and questions the congregation had. Mm -hmm. And But it also ends up, if you do that in the space where that, that permission exists, it's framed by this whole movement. And then throughout the year, the liturgical cycle and I found by having a greater inheritance of the tradition than I grew up as a Baptist preacher's kid, it actually gave me more permission in the spaces where I had my own voice to be more fully myself. Because if you're a very free church person, you're picking the Bible text, you're picking the prayers, you're picking the songs and all these kinds of things that if you were in a liturgical space, it's like. 70% of the service is kind of settled. And then what you do with it yeah, is it was settled 400 years ago. Right. And I actually found that there, there was this grace of the tradition that actually permits me to be fully myself in the spaces that that's there. How does that sound to you though? Because I went from a space that was like, I got fired for doing that to then having yeah. a place where I did. And I got in, and I was against sermons under 20 minutes <laughs> and uh, all sorts of things until I got there and realized I only have 20 minutes because there's a certain grace to everything else that's happening that I didn't have when I had to do 45. Yeah, yeah I, I think it's interesting, even when you talk about like, or when you think about deconstruction or recovery as we're, you know, trying to work on it. I think folks that had like wider traditions and Sarah, I think this matches your experience too. You were more experiencing the burnout of just generally just trying to be a pastor in the Yeah, spaces. trying to meet everybody's needs. Whereas those of us on like people on our Discord and things that come from more conservative traditions, it's more like just the relentless like need to be the same mm -hmm. all the time and to uphold you know, the theology all the time. There's, there is no space for that. And both are crushing. I'm not saying one is like more harmful or more traumatic or more difficult than the other. Uh, but it is interesting. And I, th I do think also people that have left those spaces, people that left more broad traditions kind of can still hang a little better and be like, sure, yeah, I'm still a Christian, whatever. I'm just, you know, we're just experiencing this broader tradition. Whereas folks like me are like, I need to just take a break from Jesus. Mm -hmm. and Christianity for a maybe forever because I just 
I and I found this too. Like when I engage in you know scripture or something like that, it has to be the right setting, or I just go right back into conservative whatever. And I'm like, this is this is trash. I don't even want to deal with this. I think that's honestly why going to beer camp with you was such a I hate to use this word blessing. Oh. It's like mm, that's a gross oh. word. It's a gross word. Yeah, that's a gross yes! word. Yes, I wish we had. It was sound. a good experience. It was a good experience because it was. I felt like I was able to engage in the tradition in a way that didn't like trigger that like just that neurological rut that create that led straight to conservatism for me. Mm-hmm. And so I think I think it's just honestly you're just dealing with people's neurology. Uh, just like I, when I read Paul. I think of conservative Paul. I don't think of expansive Paul because I just, my brain just doesn't go there and it yeah. requires way too many calories to do so. So I would just rather not. <laughs> um, and that's just kind of where I'm at. And I think it's where a lot of people find themselves. Whereas those that have a little more broad tradition and are able to, were able to be more expansive in the role, maybe don't have that hang up as much. It's a different kind of burnout. Yeah. Oh, friends. I, you know, I think it's the question that this whole show seeks to answer is like, is it possible to do this job in a way that's healthy? And if not, is it possible to get out of the job in a way that's healthy? Mm-hmm. Is it possible to see your life beyond it? And in an ever expanding understanding of ourselves and the world around us, how do we make space for both what we're experiencing and what others are experiencing? Mm-hmm. So I'm just really grateful. Both of you have been such a big part of my own, you know, leaving ministry, wondering if I still matter. You know, that's one of the things is after you leave local church ministry when you're used to mattering once a week, at least mm-hmm. uh, it's weird to try to like step in. And, and when I speak at events, absolutely. That feels like such a good fit, but there is that like, what do we do after this? And I'm so grateful for actually both of you helping me think of those things. Can I, and thanks. I got, can I ask, go ahead. I want to, can I, I had two questions I wanted to ask y'all. Go for okay. it. Well, I mean, I don't know how y'all do. You know, there are some homebrewed Christianity episodes in up three hours. So, but okay. we'll cut stuff okay, out. Good. Keep going. Okay. I want to ask y'all two questions. Okay. Here's the first one. Go. Um, and yes, if you ask a podcaster on your podcast, there's a high chance that they also are mostly interested in asking you a question. But okay. So, y'all been doing Rev Covery for a while. And you obviously, the, con- the concept and the idea is something that you both shared enough to decide to do it right and you've you've had Mm -hmm. how many episodes at this point like 30 some right no we're in our high 40 some 40s okay something almost 50 okay so like the like i well i actually have no memory of what homeward was at that many because it's like over 1500 at this point but the but like the like y'all are on your third season though right yeah. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So whatever number of season is, I knew it's third season. So the what are the if you did a Venn diagram of the pain points and the promise points of people that have been on, and someone came to you, let's like a journalist, this is like, hello, Justin and Sarah. I'm so interested. You've been doing this work with people that are coming out of ministry. Like, what are the pain points that congregations may want to know if they don't want to run their gifted people out of ministry and the and the and the promises of people that leave it, like pain and promises from like if you did Venn diagrams of like took all the answers of people that have come on 
are are there are there any things on in either category that come to mind that you're like you know i think i could say this confidently because we've had enough conversations so you want to yeah, go I first think so yeah sure so i think the pain points are you know all the things that we just said this idea of having a job that requires me to be a professional christian so that means that when i grow it could be problematic or if i shift it could be problematic all of the expectations of all sorts of different people having your paycheck tied to beliefs i would say is more for our folks that come out of a more evangelical space i think those are like massive mm -hmm. pain points interestingly i'll tell you this 2016 was a big year that we hear again and again and again lgbtqia inclusion even if people are not part of the queer community is probably the massive major one and i think uh i would say I'll, and i'll let you i'm sure you'll think of more but i would say the the promise points are after uh, exiting out of ministry is being able to engage your faith for for yourself and not for a community and that's what you're asking right is what do people like after they leave what are the promise points mm -hmm. brunch brunch has been a big one mm -hmm. <laughs> people being able to go to brunch having something called a weekend you know i had that moment again yesterday i I did three things with friends and I had one thing I had to do for work and it was a busy Saturday, but I realized, oh, this is what people do on their weekends. They connect to people. Uh, that's, that wasn't my experience, right? Like I, I was always working. So having weekends is a promise point for sure. And I think being able to really, really look at how I was caring for myself in a way, and this is, I think other people as well, like what do I actually want and need and mm -hmm. not and separate from that and also finding community outside of the church when you thought you wouldn't because the I, I think one of the big pain points is people are afraid they'll lose any sense of community and sometimes they're right and then having to reframe yeah. that justin yeah. i mean you hit most of them i i think really well uh i would just reiterate that the 2016 election was a, a big Huge. one and i think i think it's because I, I don't know if it's just the 2016 election, but I think the way power and influence has shifted to where Facebook is discipling the congregation mm -hmm. more than the minister is. Oh, that's so that is for real. The number I, of ministers that I are think, still yeah. in ministry that yeah. complain about that and they're like, why do I want to stay when Tucker Carlson has more time with them than the their Bible yes. study? Yes. And, and so I think, and that, that was what my, I mean, I'll, I'll just say it when I was in the board meeting that was deciding my fate, mm -hmm. I was the most educated one in the room, particularly on the topic of LGBTQIA, not even inclusion, just like issues. Yeah. Like I'm the subject matter expert here, but they're the ones deciding whether I am the subject matter expert or not. And they're the ones deciding whether I'm theologically accurate, even though theologically I can run circles around them arguing either position. And it's not, and that's not even a brag. That's just, I have the education to do so. So like the way power is structured in churches where it's like, you're the minister and you're supposed to be the one that leads people, but you really aren't. Mm -hmm. you're, you, you're actually supposed to give them what they want to hear. And that's how the paycheck continues to come. And so I think, when ministers, I think there are a lot of ministers that hit that wall in 2016 where they're like, yeah, clearly Trump is a bad guy, right? And the congregations were like, no. <laughs> it's like, 
Uh, <laughs> uh, okay. No. Um, so I think that was a big one. I think the promise is, I think, awakening to the fact that ministry isn't the only thing you can do. Because I oh, think yeah, there are yeah. a lot of ministers, and I was one of them too, and I still some days am, where, you re- where you're like, this is all I know how to do. This is the only thing I can do. And so you end up trading so much of yourself to stay in it because you're like, I, I can't leave. And, and realizing like, oh, I actually do have a lot to offer the corporate world. Oh, actually, I do have a lot to offer the business mm-hmm. world. Oh, I, I do have a lot to offer my local community, even just as an educated person. I have a lot to offer, you know, my school board. I have a lot to, I have, there's, there are other places where I can offer my expertise and I'm actually good at it. And, and you learn like maybe money's not bad. That's, that's kind of nice. And so I think, I think you awakening to just like, you can be so much more than this one thing. That's been huge for me. And I think huge for people in our discord community and other places Mm -hmm. too. I want to add just one more that I think is a promise that's been surprising to people. And actually, even in the private clients that I've been coaching is for some of them, because some of the people I work with are former clergy or current clergy, that I don't have to negate everything that came before. Mm-hmm. And by that, because I had a rough break from ministry in the past, and, and this is the same for me, I thought I was starting at ground zero. And my mom was like, <laughs> my mom was the one who like sat me down and was like, do you understand? Like, and my dad actually do. Like, you, you don't start, you have 17 years of experience in a professional yeah. field where you actually did as much as, you know, it's hard for you that it, certain things didn't work out. You did things that were incredible and you don't lose that just because you go on to do something else for a while. And I think that has been a promise that so many people are like, but I worked so hard. And it's like, yeah, that doesn't go away. And, the, and if you did have good community experiences, because I did, those don't go away. That's still all that work in those lives that you, hopefully helped those don't, that doesn't go away what's your question number okay. two sir okay so there's a preface statement um <laughs> one there's a preface to your question yeah for, because chris? it's an affirmation why did i call you chris trip i was like why did i call you chris for a second well That's i weird. didn't notice so i'm i'm it's the bourbon, hi, i'm I chris think. And I have a last question. I don't know, guys. I've just been drinking water Why over here. This is getting feisty. Go ahead. Right, it's after 11 on the East Coast. So, it is um, true. It okay. is true. Preface statement is, I have cried more uh, listening to your podcast than any of the others in the last year and a mm-hmm. half or so. And so many times, I wanted to like break through the interview and tell these ministers that had these horrible experiences with their local institutional version of the church. Thank you. Because so like the volume of them where the reason they aren't in that space was a good one was high, but also the fact they were in that space until they left meant there were plenty of people that were blessed that probably weren't with their replacement. And so, like, thinking of that, I just want to say to any of those people that are there, like, don't torture yourself, but also don't minimize the fact that if you're still serving and struggling, you may be the person who gets to tell a lot of people they are the beloved of God. And... I have heard so many people that stayed longer than they thought was possible 
on your podcast and just in their own testimonies in sharing their struggles also meant they were sharing their faithfulness, right? Because the number of people who heard and were affirmed and blessed because they had lingered was high. And I, I, I don't, it wasn't it i don't want to say that in the sense like oh stay if you're being tortured and this is horrible and blah 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 for you but just in the sense of like if they if they're a former guest that were like it took so long i wish i'd figured this out earlier and yeah maybe it was great for you if you did but also there are these like and i've i've heard this from plenty of ministers who get that space where then i was just still like yeah, but there, there were a lot of individuals that your replacement sucked, right? And the fact that you mm-hmm. lingered longer meant some kid didn't think about hurting themselves when they came out, but wondered, are there other people here I can tell the truth to? And all these other variations. So that like that observation came up throughout it, and y'all are so attentive to the, the interviewee's story. I just wanted to give a big shout out to all of them and just say, hey, 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 you lingered nine extra months and it sucked, but there was nine more months that you weren't replaced with a shithead. You know, <laughs> and I'm not saying that's a good yep. thing, but if you did it, that's a perk. Okay, so here's the second question. Uh, there are, that was the preface. That was a statement. I was an affirmation I because it. I I love it. Look. Love it. I think I've listened to three fourths of your episodes. I was just looking at my because uh, I like I have listened. Okay, on my app, y'all have forty nine episodes, and I've listened to thirty eight. Okay, that's awesome. okay. So that was my thought in thinking back of listening to it, and there were multiple times I thought it was really beautiful, and I wouldn't have thought about the ways when I lingered in painful places. Oh, what what happened? But I got this message this past week from a former student when I was <laughs> eighteen years younger. Oh, oh. Anyway, I didn't know that was possible. We've aged. Who has a child? And they messaged me and said, "Could you send me the blessing you did at my baptism? Because I would like to use it at wow. my daughter's, and she's Episcopal now, but she was not religious and." joined the church through grandparent and was baptized when I was like the, one of the first churches I worked at that I got fired at, like, you know, within 18 months. So like the individual's memorable, the church not. And, and I, I, I sent her this. And then, so it made me think of how there are the, the way your podcast is regularly framed is towards the minister and their exit. So I wanted to know what was the last moment where you realized, even though I didn't fit or feel present and couldn't be my whole self and all these kinds of things, you discovered later that the grace of whatever mystery is usually labeled God did something beautiful. Because uh, honestly, between your almost 50 episodes, there's almost no chance y'all weren't good ministers. I mean, I already know Sarah wasn't, but Justin, not just your, it's not just that you look good in sweatpants lifting in your garage. It's 
like the way you ask questions and things makes me go like, mm-hmm. oh, if he made a if he did a reunion tour in my town, I would go to his church, you know. And mm-hmm. so, is there is there something that since leaving that you've had an encounter, experience, a story shared where you go, oh, I didn't know if I use you know cheesy minister like that seed was sown or this thing was happening, or this relationship was. Because the I have a couple friends who've left and are big fans of your podcast, probably listen to the episodes I haven't. And, uh, and when talking to them, this idea came up after I shared yeah. the story this past week. Anyway, that's, that's my question. Because I honestly, like, I mostly think, ah, uh, man, some head of some denomination needs to listen to this and just be like, man, we're doing a real poor allocation of talent. Somebody got to get Justin and Sarah back in the biz. Come on. <laughs> it, it's like LeBron James ain't retired. Come on. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. LeBron James has got burnt out. Um, That's true. Yeah. I, you know, he's trying to play till hmm. his kid gets in there, you know? <laughs> I think, hmm. I think, well, there were plenty of moments, even up right into and right when I was exiting, that I felt were good. And I'll say too, like I, there are, there were queer kids in my ministry that are alive today. And I don't, I, I, I don't even think I'm exaggerating because I was their minister at the time I was their minister. And those are relationships. Those are conversations. Those are moments that I, I will always cherish. And, and even if I look back and like, yeah, I wish I would have gotten out of ministry sooner. There's a part of me that recognizes like, being there in that moment was good mm-hmm. and and I'm glad I did it. And I, and if I could have stayed longer for some of them, I would have. And even since then, you know, I've been invited to do weddings. I've, I've, I've had phone calls. I've had things that, that have been incredibly meaningful to me. Even if the, like, I'm not, I don't think I'm a Christian anymore. I don't know that it matters. Like I, you know, like it just, I don't know that it matters even, but I'm able to be there for those moments. And that's a really good thing. And so, yeah, I, I feel like there's a lot of good there uh, for me. And I think that the, as painful as exiting was and the transition was, I'm I'm glad I was able to have those last couple places um, simply because I I made, I think I made my, the best impact I could have made. That's beautiful. Yeah. I, I just want to give yeah. a full endorsement to the UCC region that is looking to recruit Justin <laughs> and I'll say that having been on the search and call committee for a number of years that the best future UCC ministers are ones that <laughs> we recruit with an evangelical piety and an earned commitment to the larger justice vision of the denomination and uh and even if that's not true, I like I look, you don't have to use the word. I just want you to know as someone that's comfortable saying the word God, I think God is deeply pleased and celebrates every person that you hypothesize thinking that their life wasn't worth it because you were present. Mm-hmm. And I bet there are people listening to this that are on the brink of jumping and don't know when it gets there. And obviously everyone has to make sense of their own life and their integrity and all that kind of stuff. But like that, 
you said yes at some point to a saying yes to the gospel vocationally and then got to be the person to break rank vocationally in your church to say yes to your vocation as a minister of the gospel and affirm somebody, then mm-hmm. like, like you're more of a fucking theist than half of the people that bitch people out on the internet about it. So like, I just, like, I like, I, and this isn't like weird heresy or apostate vibes. It's like literally Jesus, right? Like, You'll know them yeah. by their fruits. Like, this is what love looks like. If you can't cast out and condemn and then say God is love at the same time, this is straight, like, just like biblical Christianity. I'm not saying, like, this is a witness to you, Justin. I'm just saying it <laughs> to the, like, as someone yeah. who's comfortable using the word, just to go, like, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I, I, the other day I was talking to a very famous mega church preacher who's like, all weird and like trying to figure out how he's going to lead his congregation to being open and affirming and all this kind of stuff. And I basically said like, look, there's almost no chance anyone at your church thinks you think this like your silence and ambiguity for the last couple of years is your quote evolving. Um, it like, well, you know, what gets filled in the gaps is just like evangelical expectations. And yeah. like when you get dodgy and stuff, every time you do that, like you're choosing not you're choosing for individuals listening, often children and teenagers struggling with their mm-hmm. identity, not to think that their minister thinks God's their ally. Right. Like that's what your hesitations hung up on. And so if you've already decided that God is your ally and linger a little bit longer, then you get the perk of like. I don't know, doing gospel in ways that Sarah and I and mainline Protestant congregations don't get to do, you know, because we don't get hired if we aren't down for the gays, you know, like they, they get that <laughs> question. Do you like it? All these things are hypothetical, right? Like, you know, that they, they, they're like, oh, do you think this and this and this? But like if you're in a congregation where the inertia of the social capital is judgment. And then the figure that bears the collar, even though I'm sure y'all didn't use them, is is like, no, 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 I'm not sure. And in fact, you're lovely. That's awesome. So I just like, mm-hmm. you know what? You may have done more gospel ministry in the last two years as you're exiting in flux than uh, half the people listening that are hate listening, just trying to decide, mm-hmm. like, listen, these yeah. crazy <laughs> liberals, blah, 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 blah. So just, you know, I think that's awesome. I This is my affirmation because I... I've had a minister email me before and then like, I've been listening to your podcast, blah, 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 blah. And then someone in my congregation committed suicide. And then I found out, even though I thought I was open and affirming, they had intuited inertia evangelicalism. And I'm just like, exactly. So that's why you got to be clear, man. I tweeted about this and I've said it a couple of times, other places. Like, I think you get about two, three years to wrestle. That's generous. Mm-hmm. Like, like we can wrestle, we can make ambiguous statements, but then just like fucking decide like openly and just say like, yeah, I'm not affirming or yes, I am like, like, is that I, there are some big name pastors that have been like wrestling in the nuance, big yeah. podcast air quotes for like a decade now. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you're no, no, you're just leading people on at this point. And, and to me, like, you know, this is going to be like 
that is pastoral malpractice mm-hmm. to me. Mm-hmm. Like that is professionally negligent to be ambiguous on such a big issue that impacts so many people's lives. Like, and and I'm like, at this point, I don't care where you land, land, wherever you're going to land, clear. but just land so that you're safe for the right people. And you be other and the other and the other people know to stay clear of you mm. because I'm, yeah, I'm so sick of ministers kind of gaining the, like the capital of this moment where it's like, Oh yeah, we can wrestle with the LGBTQIA issues, but like, issues. <laughs> but, yeah. It's a, first off, it's not issues. It's human beings. And second, like, there's no wrestling. The wrestling has been done. Read, read a book, man, read and, a book. <laughs> and decide like it's this, this is not hard. It's just you don't want to make a decision because, yeah, the people that claimed that we're like abandoning the gospel for the world or whatever, like, mm-hmm. I'm sorry, that's what you all are doing, because you're just like you're capitalizing on this moment to kind of generate Internet buzz. I don't know, but you're not you're still siding with bigotry. But anyway. Sorry, that was my soapbox for a moment. I, I you asked me a question. When was the last time? Yeah, no, you have to answer the question. Yeah, when was the last time that I felt? I think I have the unique experience of being in a relationship with a lot of people that I was pastor mm-hmm. for. Um, and it's taken some time and it's taken some nuance and it's taken some work and it's taken some boundaries. But I think having people, the the thing that has been, I'll be honest, just like overwhelming is how many amazing people I've been able to be in relationship with. And I think through all the ups and downs and all that, I think like even last night running into friends who I knew because we were in a small house church together. And then like years and years later that, you know, trip, you helped one of them come uh, out of an incredibly difficult time of being really well known as a worship leader in a church that was terrible. And then uh, all of this stuff where I feel like, for me, almost every day, there's a moment where I go, okay, maybe it was worth it because I can speak into things that are different. And I have this incredible community of people near and far. Uh, and mm-hmm. I don't know that every human being gets to do that. And I don't know. I, I continue to be able, I hope, to tell people they're incredible and that they may not feel it in this moment. And in the same way, I get it back. And I think that would be very different if I'd only ever worked in corporate. Like, I love the company I work for. Right, one of the companies I work for right now in-house is coaching. And um, I do leadership development as well as administration stuff because it turns out I'm really good at developing systems for other people. But, I, you know, there's a girl that I work with right now who I don't know if she's listening, but she took her weeks to tell me, oh, hey, I used to be a children's pastor. And I didn't know how to tell you, but I I know who you are and I know what you do. And our conversations are so deep now. And so I think, yeah, that's when I feel like it was all worth it. The knowledge I got out of it, the experience and the ability, like just in the last couple of months to say, um, I I now have non-negotiables when it comes to work. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that's, I'm really grateful. Yeah, I'm glad I stuck it out for as long as I did in a lot of ways because of the people that even in the end, I got to know really well, and I think got to see me exit well. And I think and I hope that the community has been bettered by that because a lot of them had been damaged by the person before leaving, not the person before my church, but the, the company, whatever they did before. Mm-hmm, yeah. Anyway, hope that answers all your questions. Guys, we did it. We did almost two hours, which we never do. 
Wow. But but this was such a good conversation. I'll I'll proselytize so the interview, you know. So hopefully to be, you know, get more, a few more downloads than your normal one because I That'd be awesome. also you should you might should put y'all's answers to the last two questions at the beginning because as someone that listens to your podcast, like I these those were like I have five or six questions I wanted to ask you. You know, and <laughs> is this you saying that we should do round are we, two? Are we because doing a part I'll two? No, no, we should we should do it, but you should have a special episode at the end of your current season where I just interview you. All I get to do is ask questions. I don't get to say anything because I I have thoughts. And I go. feel like as like, I mean, I, I have like a pretty good batting average. Like if I three fourths of the interviews, you know, I've listened to. So like I have thoughts, but uh, I I, I'm more than Maybe happy to show this. back up and ask y'all questions because I love it. Uh, yeah, I, I have them, but I mostly just want you to know there are so many people I know that are ministers or were who love this podcast mm-hmm. and it's not one I could do because. I have a very limited amount of minutes a week that I do feelings. <laughs> and I, like after my immediate f- family and therapist are done, there's not a lot left. I could not. <laughs> <laughs> Can't hold the space. You know, <laughs> you know, yeah. I got, I, I got, I'm, I'm sure by 50, I'll be able to do more, more of it. But, you know, but, I just love you both. I think what you're doing is wonderful. There are people in my family and very close friend groups that have been so affirmed and encouraged by what y'all are doing. And those that listen regularly, I'm sure, are in similar spaces. So, you know, not all niches in the podcast world are ones where, the, <laughs> like, your regular listeners, like, you know, like, they're, I listen to, like, six Laker podcasts. Right, like they, <laughs> I like all of them. I might hang out with them if I thought I could, and it wouldn't didn't take me a lot of effort. But if you're regular to your podcast, then you you kind of like move up the emotional, connected, relational ladder, and that's just like so cool. And I I think y'all's kind of dynamic and friendship is super wonderful. And I, one of the beautiful things of podcasting is something like this gets to exist. So, you know. I'm excited. Looking forward to sharing it. So if maybe more people that are in spaces that this conversation happens, you know, can find it. But, you know, big well, fan. We're so grateful big for you. Fan. I'm a big, we're big fans of yours. Yeah, so we're so glad sure. to have you on here. And more than that, beyond friend, like beyond fandom is friendship. And I'm so grateful. And it, I, I will say, I'll say it this way. I think it was an absolute God experience for me to be able to sit with you in my lowest and feel seen and heard. And so thank you. And thank you guys for listening to this conversation. And uh, you can find Trip and Homebrew Christianity. And please check out um, also the courses that you can take through that. I mean, we've got some heavy hitters that are um, on there with you. And just the dynamic and how you get theologians to blush is my favorite thing. So please check out all his work. And again, thank you for joining us. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. If you are enjoying the conversations you hear on RevCovery, you can continue the conversation with us and many more incredible people in the RevCovery room on Discord. To access our Discord, please join our Patreon to become part of the RevCovery room community. You can join for as little as $4 a month, and this helps us produce the show as well as gives you access to the community resources. Check it out 
at www.patreon.com slash revcovery. We know that not everyone is able to financially support the show, but there are lots of ways to support us, including giving us a five-star review wherever you're listening right now. And make sure to like and subscribe across all social media. Revcovery Room is our Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook handle, so you can find us there to keep the conversation going. Now on to some final thoughts and this week's poem. Friends, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Trip. Uh, truly, it was an authentic conversation and one filled with surprising moments of hope and imagination. I think the thing with true friendship is that you're always able to see things that other people aren't able to see, or maybe you're not even ready to see within yourself. So I'm grateful and hopeful that that was a conversation that was helpful for you. As I was thinking through that conversation, I thought of a book, and of course it's by John O'Donohue, my favorite poet and writer. John O'Donohue talked about friendship in this way, and to my friends who speak Irish, I know I'm going to pronounce this wrong, but it's Anamkara, a book about uh, soul friendship. So he talks about uh, friendship in a deep way and how many times those are our actual soulmates, are our deep friendships. So I thought I would read to you the quote that I have sent to several of my friends in time of need or transition. A friend is a loved one who awakens your life in order to free the wild possibilities within you. The one you love, your Anamkara, your soul friend, is the truest mirror to reflect your soul. And again, that's from John O'Donohue. I'm grateful for all the people who reflect my soul, even when I myself am not capable of seeing it. I hope you enjoyed the conversation and thanks so much for sticking around. First Corinthians warned you about the women with a loud mouth, and this podcast is just that. Here at the Speaking in Church podcast, we talk all about the regular people and the things that regularly happen to them in the evangelical church. It's a podcast about change. It's a podcast about seeking moral high ground. And it's a podcast for people who are just trying to deconstruct on the safe side. You can listen wherever you get your podcasts. And if you want to be a guest, yes, you, regular person, you can be a guest on the Speaking in Church podcast. If you want to come on, just let us know.